Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. In session one of Epic, Matt Densky talks about the origin of power, the power of the Holy Spirit. We look at Acts 2, verses 1 through 5 and verse 8, and how we receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us. Jesus gives us power through His Spirit in us to accomplish the works of God and proclaim the words of God. We hope you enjoy this message from Epic 2020. Well, hey, listen, um, I, I want to I tell... I want to tell two stories to kick off the night. I want to tell two stories to kick off the night, and they both revolve around food. Any food people out there? Like, oh, just love food people. <laughs> yeah. I like food too, man. I'm trying, to eat more, I'm trying to eat more veggies. That's been my grind lately. I don't like veggies, man, but I'm trying. Sheesh. So... <laughs> Uh, so listen, man, uh, in, back in college, like when I first started college, I had a, I had a buddy of mine in college and, uh, you know, I got some friends here that I, that I went to college with, Stallion, as you guys may know, went to college with me, love that guy. So my, my roommate my freshman year was my friend from my hometown, we went to high school together, so it was actually kind of cool, we were friends, we, we went to college together, we were roommates our freshman year, his name was Heath, and... Uh, Heath, like the candy bar. You guys are wild, man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so during breaks, we're going to pause on too much, man, too much. During breaks, we'd go home. Uh, like Christmas break, summer break, we'd go home. And during some of those breaks, I would sleep over at his house. And when we were in high school, Heath's home had three rooms. The guest room, the back middle room, which was his, and then the room right beside the kitchen, which was his parents. And... Anytime in high school we slept over at Heath's house, he would always warn us, like kind of a, hey man, just so everyone knows, my, my stepdad loves that you guys are here, he's awesome, like, you know, he's a super kind dude, and he really was, but, but don't wake him up in the middle of the night, like never wake him. We've got to be quiet past a certain hour, we can't wake Bobby. And I was like, what would happen? And he's like, Like, why would Bobby kill us? He's like, look, man, he has a military past. He doesn't sleep easy. If you startle him in the night, I'm just telling you guys. And so for a high schooler, it was like, okay, man, like, <laughs> this place is awesome. Let's party, but whisper, right? Like, we just had to keep it quiet. And so college, I come home. It's a winter break, and I'm spending the night at Heath's house, just like, you know, we used to do in high school. And it's getting kind of late, and so Heath and I decide that we need some food. We need some grub. Like, we need to get our eat on. And there aren't too many places that would satisfy such a hunger around 1 a.m. And so, of course, we hit up the local Taco Bell. Uh, <laughs> I'm not clapping. It was a big mistake. Uh, the past 15 years, I've eaten at Taco Bell twice because of this. Like, I, I won't go near it. I'm nervous every time, man. So we hit up Taco Bell, and we eat, and it's good. And, like, we go to bed. I'm in the guest room. Heath goes to his room. And we're chilling. And I'm sleeping. About 3 a.m. I wake up. And I'm like, ah, like something in my stomach. It feels like my stomach is like, hey, man, would you mind if I flipped inside out real quick? <laughs> like, I just want to, uh, like, inside. I'm like, uh, like, hurting so bad. I've never, it feels like someone's got an elbow right on my stomach and just pile driving it down and just laughing. And I'm, I'm hurting in bed. Like, I'm, I'm like in fetal, like, what is going on? Uh, hurting. Bad. 
Never experienced pain like this. I'm nauseous. I got like the cold sweats going on. You know what I mean? Like the mouth sweats are happening. Like, like I'm about to vomit. Like I'm in pain. It's December. So I like run over to the window and crack the window, try to get some cold air on my face. Just like, oh, what is happening right now? My stomach is sore. So I tried to endure it. And eventually I'm like, I need to go tell Heath, which I don't know what good that would have done. I just felt like, hey man, middle of the night, I need to share with my boy that I'm hurting and I think I got food poisoning. And so I walk on over to Heath's room. I open the door. It's pitch black. But he's my boy. He don't mind me waking him up. And I'm... (laughs) And I'm standing there in the darkness talking to the bed. I don't know who's in that bed. I say, Heath. <laughs> like, I start real quiet. But I'm like, Heath. Like, it's starting to get louder. I'm hurting. And finally, I'm like, I got to break the silence. Heath. I see the silhouette. Pop up. I just see a flash of, you ever see dark in the dark? You know what I mean? Like, you can just see dark in the midst of dark. Yo, fam, I saw someone do this right here. <laughs> I kid you not, the last thing on my mind at that moment was my stomach pain. My, my soul, it was one of those times, my soul went ahead and left my body. It was like, nah, fam, body, you can die. I'm going up with Jesus. Like, y'all chill down here, do whatever. I'm out. So here's what I didn't know happened in the first semester of college. Heath's parents decided that they were going to switch rooms on us. They were going to take the back middle room, and Heath can have the old room by the kitchen. They didn't tell me that. I didn't see what room Heath went to bed in. I just thought it was business as usual. We got Taco Bell. We grubbed. Hey, peace out, man. I went to the guest room. I didn't see where he went. I'm not my brother's keeper. I'm standing in the pitch black yelling Heath's name, hurt, like hunched over in pain, Heath! And, and up arises Bobby. Whom you do not wake, for you shall die. And Bobby, Bobby speaks out in the darkness, this gruff tone. What's going on? take it this isn't Heath's room anymore <laughs> he was he was very angry he's very surprised I don't know I like I'm frozen I don't know what to say I feel like everything in me is about to fall out anyway like I don't know what to do in this moment I said Bobby I'm so sorry I think I got food poisoning he's confused huh what who, who, who? I'm like Bobby is mad <laughs> like I'm Heath's friend we go back. So he finally woke up, and we got it all sorted out, and he got me some meds, and I told Heath the next day, I was like, bro, what's the deal? You're not telling me y'all changed rooms on him, and that's not cool, man. He was like, oh, yeah, sorry, they wanted that room. I was like, uh, apparently, man, that would have been a nice heads up. I got food poisoning last night. What, what you, what? So anyway, Bobby took care of me. It was good, okay? That's story one. Here's story two. Yeah, thanks. I told you, two stories, two stories. Both about food. Both about food. Okay. He took care of me. Bobby was gracious. He forgave me. He only pulled out one knife. <laughs> it was cool. Okay, here's story two. 
number of years into college, some friends of mine and I decided we wanted to run with the Bulls. We thought, why not? That sounds cool. You know, like they do in Spain. They have American runnings here. You can, like, sign up and do them in different cities. Super fun. So we were like, yeah, we should totally run with the Bulls. Why not? So we did. In Spain, when they finished the running of the Bulls, there's a gigantic tomato royale battle fight. They do that here in the States as well. It's just the same event, but stateside, so you don't have to travel to Spain. It's very convenient. So we ran with the Bulls, and when we're done, we go over to where this battle royale tomato fight is about to be. And there's this huge perimeter, this chain link fence, and everyone's lining up. It's hundreds and hundreds of people, and they're all surrounding the fence, and it's like the Walking Dead because they're like, like rocking, just like ready for this fight. And I'm, oh my gosh. Like I'm looking around. People are like football helmets on, snowboard goggles, pads, like hockey gloves. I'm like, I'm looking at what I had a white t-shirt on. I'm like, am I? Do I not know something that's about, like, these guys look like Armageddon's about to go down. Like, they're about to battle with Gabriel against some demons in this Jody. Like, I, it's tomatoes, y'all. You ever felt a tomato? It's pretty squishy. Like, All right, fam. So everyone's getting excited, like, intense. And there's this big gate. They, they open one gate here and one gate on the other side. And they're building up the anticipation. And so finally, hits the time. They open the gates, and people just rush in. It's like Black Friday shot. Like, people are just falling down, getting tripped up and trampled on. Everybody's rushing for the tomatoes! And I zipped in. I was, like, one of the first ones, and I zipped in. And I just dove into the tomato pie. I'm talking thousands. Guys, if you can imagine, like, picture this room. And, like, these two sections of chairs is an area of tomatoes piled up to about eight foot high. Like, it's huge. I'm talking thousands of, someone say tomatoes. Thousands of tomatoes piled up in the middle of this area. Thousands. I'm diving in, and I'm on, I'm on top of the mountain. Like, I'm like beelining people like, what's up? Ah, this is Sparta. Ah, behind the back. Like, I'm going nuts on some people. And all of a sudden, man, people start throwing back. I mean, it's hundreds of people. And tomatoes are, like, going towards the perimeter. And so people towards the perimeter are, like, rifling them. Here's what I didn't anticipate is people are out for blood. They don't care. Any civil courtesy of like, hey, this might hurt and could cause a concussion, <laughs> zip, like 90 mile an hour tomato. They are soft, but at that speed, they hurt. And so all of a sudden, I'm getting pelted, bow, like in the face, bow, in the body. I'm getting bruised up, and I'm looking around at the people with the football helmets and pads and goggles and everything, and I got the juices running down my face, and they're burning my eyeballs because it's so acidic, and I'm like, Oh, I'm the dummy. Like, <laughs> a t-shirt. That's what I should have been doing, right? Like, at first I thought they were silly, and now I'm like, oh, I'm the dummy here. And so they're, like, pelting me. And it's just, like, this half-hour-long battle of the tomatoes. And then it's finally, oh, dude, like, you're, you come out of that hurt. When it's finally done, when it's finally done, everyone goes to, like, these, um, like, a PVC bike with all these holes drilled in it, and a hose is running through it, and just water spraying everywhere, and you just wash off and wash out your eyeballs and everything, and it's super pain, Okay. That story, too. What's the difference? They both involve food. Now hear me on this. They both involve food. But here's the big difference. Food affected me in both of them. But it affected me differently. 
Because in the Tomato Royale, I came out of there bruised. Like, my eyes felt like they melted out of my head. I've never, like, tomato juice is so acidic. It felt like bleach was, like, poured in my eyeball. Like, I couldn't even open them. I was in so much pain. People were rifling these things. You ever been hit with a tomato point-blank range from a dude crow hopping? Yeah, like, laughing. at It hurts, man. For half an hour of that, dude, by the, halfway through, <laughs> I just went out of the tomato pit, right? Like, you're done. The tomatoes hurt me from the outside, but not from the inside. The food poisoning did nothing to my outsides, but my insides felt like they were a wreck. And I would take the tomato royale every day of the week over food poisoning from Taco Bell at 3 a.m. in the morning by almost being borderline murdered by Bobby in the middle of the night. I hate, I hate when my stomach is, is nauseous or turning or in knots. Food on you, tomatoes, they hurt. They stung, they bruised, they hurt. Food in me that was bad, that was poison, was like dropping. I was, I was literally like curled up. Like, like I couldn't think about anything else except that pain. Both food, but one was on and one was in. And the principle that I want to chase down with you tonight is this. There is a big difference between on and in. A big difference between on and in. Last year, if you were at Epic 2019, it was, it was themed around the Holy Spirit. and We called it the movement and how the Spirit moves and we see him displayed in the <laughs> team wind, team fire. And we see him displayed in the scriptures as a fire and as a wind, the spirit of God. Tonight's message is basically a continuation of where Dallas left us off at the end of Epic last year. So this is like part two of Epic 2019. Yeah, I thought it was kind of cool. So tonight I want to talk to us about power. Because... Every superhero, every origin story of every superhero has some kind of power, superpower. Like you got Wonder Woman, she, she's like super strong, she can fly, she got that jump rope thing that Dallas killed JB with almost, like it was just scary. You got Green Lantern, you got, um, who else, I'm not good with these, Spider-Man got bit by the spider, I, Wait, who said Iron Man? No, you're wrong. He doesn't have a power. He's just smart and, he's just smart and rich. Come on now, guys. Every, every superhero has a power, except, ironically, our theme superheroes, Batman and Iron Man. They don't have powers. They're, they're just rich and they use technology, okay? Like, that's the difference. I want to talk tonight about, I want to talk tonight about power. The origin of power. That's the title of tonight's message, The Origin of Power, and specifically our power. And so I want us to look in the book of Acts, book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus was murdered a few days before this. God, through his power, brings Jesus back from the dead. Jesus spends the next 40 days, about a month and a half, on earth. This is towards the end of this time. And he's with his disciples for one last time, and he's giving them some like final, final, final thoughts before he goes. He's already told them about his leaving way back in John chapter 14. He's told them, hey, I'm going somewhere and you can't follow yet, but I'm sending a helper. This is John 14. 
John 15, he talks about the branch and the vine, abide in me and I'll abide in you. Then John 16, he gets back into talking about this helper, this spirit. Well, Acts 1.8 is the conclusion of, of who this helper is. Like he's, he's finally bringing the end point to what he's talking about. So Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus is with his disciples. He's about to leave and he says, I want you guys to wait in Jerusalem. Just wait there for a while. And when you wait there, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said these things, Jesus began to ascend on this cloud. It took him up into heaven. The disciples are marveling at this. They're seeing Jesus go back to the Father. The last thing Jesus says to his disciples is, I want you to stay in Jerusalem, and while you wait, you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, the most remote parts of the earth. Jesus is talking about power. He's talking about the origin story of our power, and I would even say our superpower for those who follow Jesus, the origins of power. Now, the Bible was written in, it was inspired in content, what is written, and it was inspired in form, how it's written, and maybe you guys don't know, but let me tell you, the Bible was not written in English. We've translated it from its languages. The Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew, the New Testament originally written in Greek. The Greek word that Jesus uses here for power is this Greek word, do not miss. Say it with me, one, two, three, do not miss. And it's where we derive our English word dynamite. It's the, it's, the word, it's the root of the word we get dynamite from. And so Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's saying, hey, listen, wait in Jerusalem for a while. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive, boom, power. You will receive explosive power through the presence of the Spirit when He comes upon you, and you will dismantle the domains of darkness. You will disrupt what the enemy is doing on this, on this earth. You will have explosive gospel power through the presence of the Spirit. It is like dynamite. Sheesh. Now that's a sheesh. You'll have power. Quick question. Most of you who follow, follow Jesus, is that what it feels like for you day to day? Yeah. Really, Jenny Ann? I know it's you. I just heard the voice. <laughs> really? I hope it is. I'm glad it is. Does it really feel like we're walking around with spiritual dynamite on a day to day? Like you wake up in the morning, do you just, whoo, let's go blow up some darkness. You feel that way? You feel the power, the dunamis of the Spirit? Or most days you wake up and you're like, yeah, I follow Jesus. I mean, I kind of grew up with it. Like, I'm in church. It's cool. Epic's awesome. I love the hype and the emotions. <laughs> Here, now. Like, oh, yeah, man, I love it. But do you wake up 365 feeling the power? And if the answer is no, then the next question would be, why not? Did Jesus say you'll receive power temporarily? You'll receive power at the big retreats in your life? You'll receive power seasonally? Is the Spirit operate by a season? And if it's permanent, why don't we feel that explosive dynamite power that gives us victory over sin, 
courage against the darkness, the ability to stand and discern culturally right from wrong, walk with Jesus. Where's that power? Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses. This power will enable you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Again, this word witness, the Greek word is martus, and it's where we derive our English word martyr, someone who's willing to die on behalf of their beliefs. And Jesus is telling his disciples, you will testify about me, you will tell others about me, and you may even have to die because of this. Like it's, it's the highest calling, but you'll have power. And look at how he frames it. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem. That's where they were currently at. That's like their backyard. Like for us, that's Greenville. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, your backyard. And then it's going to expand out to the surrounding areas, Judea and all the areas mixed with, with uh, Rome conquering all these cities and its presence there. And then you've got kind of these backcountry places, slower pace of life. You'll be in Judea and you'll be in Samaria. If you know the history of Jews and Samaritans, high, high, high racial tension, judgment, hatred, bitterness, terrible past between the two, fighting and a lot of violence and murder, a lot of racism, and Jesus is saying, you will be my witnesses there, and you'll be my witnesses to places on this planet you have no idea yet, the fringe of the earth, the most remote parts, the end of the earth. Jesus is telling them, you will be my martyrs, my, my witnesses, even to the point of death. Most of the disciples did die, history tells us, or, or were murdered at the hands of people because of their faith. You will be my witnesses. Look at what he's doing here. Geographically, it's like Jesus is saying, we're about to throw a rock into the pond of the world, and the ripple effect will start here and spread, 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 spread. And it's still spreading today. You'll be my witnesses across geographical lines. You'll be my witnesses across cultural lines. You're going to be my witnesses across religious lines. You're going to be my witnesses across racial lines. You will be my witnesses. You will testify. You'll tell about me. Well, Jesus, how are we supposed to do that? Because you have power. The Spirit will come upon you. You'll have power. Now, to the disciples, I think... We're excited about this, wouldn't you be? If Jesus said the Spirit's going to come upon you. But they were also familiar with this idea. This is an Old Testament idea. So I have here a, a, a jacket. This is going to represent the Spirit, okay? If you look through the Old Testament, we first see the Spirit in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the creation account, the Scriptures say that the Spirit was hovering over the face of the waters. So even in creation, in the beginning, you have the Spirit of God in the mix of creation. You have God the Father creating, and the New Testament tells us that Jesus Christ is creating and did create the world. So you have the Trinity in creation. The Spirit is there hovering over the waters. And then as, as God begins to get to know his people and make friendships and relationships, God does this really interesting thing with his Spirit. He allows his Spirit to not just hover over earth, but to actually hover over people or to come on people. And one of the clearest instances of this is in the Old Testament, the first physical king of Israel, King Saul, was anointed with the Spirit, and the Spirit came upon Saul and rested on him, and he literally wore the Spirit. It hovered over Saul. 
And Saul did amazing things through the presence of the Spirit. The first physical king of Israel, I'll say physical because Jesus is the first true king of Israel, but Saul's the first physical king of Israel, King Saul. He had a great start but a terrible finish. He He became inflated with his own ego and his own reputation, eventually built a monument to himself to celebrate how great he was. And God gave him a lot of warnings. Saul didn't listen. And so eventually the Spirit of God left Saul, came off of him, and began to hover elsewhere. The Spirit of God found itself beginning to hover over a young teenage boy named David, a shepherd out in the fields. David became anointed with the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God was on David. David became the second king of Israel. Everything he did was blessed. Everything he did prospered. The Spirit of God was with him. They sang songs about him. They celebrated him. He was the greatest king since Saul, and no one has been greater since on this earth than King David for Israel. David, somewhere in his life, had a downfall. He sinned a number of times. He sinned to cover up sin, to cover up sin. He sinned to cover up that sin. He had a great downfall. And it's interesting, you look in Psalm 52, David prays this prayer. God, please do not take your spirit from me. Because David saw with his eyes what happened to Saul, King Saul, when the spirit left him. And David prays, don't let your spirit depart from me. He repents. He turns from his sin, and God blesses him, and his spirit doesn't leave him. Further down the road of Israel's history, you have this prophet named Elijah, this bold prophet. Kind of represents all the prophets, right? Elijah is heartbroken that so many of God's people are worshiping a false god named Baal, B-A-A-L, Baal. And so he challenges the prophets of Baal and the followers of Baal, 850 in total. He says, hey, you guys worship Baal. I worship the one true God. You want to put it to the test? Let's hike to the top of that mountain. You guys pray to your God. I'll pray to my God. We'll both ask God to let fire fall from heaven, and whosoever God answers is the one true God. Deal? 850 people said, Yup, you're toast. They go to the top of the mountain. They have rituals all day. They're like cutting themselves with swords, chanting, doing all this stuff. And Elijah's like, man, your God ain't going to answer. In fact, he kind of taunts him. He's like, maybe he's asleep. <laughs> maybe he went to the bathroom. True story. You can read it. All day they pray, nothing. Now it's Elijah's turn. He steps up, the Spirit of God upon him. Elijah steps up. God, show these people who the one true God is. <gasps> Fire from heaven comes down. Everybody repents. God is the one true God. Sheesh. Elijah with the the spirit. Elijah took on a a protege. He began to mentor a younger guy named Elisha. S-H, not J. Elisha. Elisha prayed a bold prayer to God. He said, God, whatever spirit Elijah had, I want that same spirit, but I want a double portion. I want twice as much. God blessed his prayer. Spirit came on him and came on him again in a double portion. Elisha was this radical prophet, man. And eventually when he died, there's this story in the Old Testament. Elisha is dead. He's buried in this um, tomb, like this cave thing. His skeleton is in there. And these other guys are kind of nearby, and they're burying a friend of theirs who just died. They're burying this guy. And they look up in the distance, and they see thieves and raiders, and they know, like, oh, they're going to rob us. They're going to... Dismantle this and and dishonor our friend. They're going to desecrate 
you know, his, his body, we need to hide his body. And so they decided, let's just throw him into Elisha's tomb. So they throw him in there, and their dead friend, like, lands thuds, touches Elisha's bones, the skeleton, comes back to life. Because Elisha's skeleton had that much power of the Spirit. The Spirit coming on people. There's person after person after person after person we could talk through in the Old Testament about the Spirit coming on. And Jesus is with his disciples and he looks at them and he says, you will receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. And they're thinking Old Testament, wow, we're going to be his witnesses like those guys. But Jesus wasn't talking this. There's a big difference between on and in. Look at Acts chapter 2. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 1. The disciples were obedient to Jesus. They went to Jerusalem. They waited. While they were waiting, they were in this room, and they were praying and seeking God. Verse 1, Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared and started to come down and rested on each one of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak to each other in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Spirit didn't just come on them, the Spirit came in them. The Spirit filled them. I want you to understand that in the history of the Scriptures, in the Old Testament, the Spirit comes on, 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 on. And Jesus comes on the scene and does something new in the new covenant, this new dynamic with God. The Spirit doesn't come on you. He comes in you. And never before has the full presence of God decided to live inside of his people. He will live with his people. He lives near his people, but never in. And right now, Jesus is doing something new. They're praying, and they hear wind, and they see tongues on fire. What is happening? Tongues land on. I mean, could you imagine a tongue on fire coming down? No, 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 no. It hits you, and you're just like, like you're speaking this whole new language. Everyone's like, what is happening? Because the Spirit filled them. Verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews and devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed. They were perplexed. How is this happening? So imagine a melting pot city like New York where there's just tons and tons and tons of people from all over the world. You're in Times Square. You're hanging out with your peeps, your fam. Fam jam. You're just like chilling. God flags no cap. You're chilling. And all of a sudden you hear wind. You're like, ooh, what's happening? What's happening? You look up and tongues of fire are coming down and you, you sense it's from God and the tongues land on you and begin to speak. And all these people from all around the world who reside in NYC because it's such a melting pot city come and they hear their language being spoken by you. People from South America, people from Central America, from Canada, yo, Yonker boys, where you at? Yes, yes, yes. Hearing some French Canadian going on. 
people from Africa and the northern dialects and Morocco and, and, the, and the nomadic people who travel throughout the desert in South Africa even are down there, right? Like dialects of all the African tribes that are coming. And they're like, how do they know my, my tongue, my dialect? People from Europe and all these countries, what a melting pot that is. Spanish and Scandinavian and Norwegian and, and Finnish and, and Dutch and all these languages and German and Italian. They're all hearing like normal, like normal looking people in Times Square, like, what? The, how do you know how to speak this? And then people from Asia and Russia come over, and they're all hearing their language in Japan and Indonesia and Australia, mate. Right? And they're all hearing all this stuff. I know Australia speaks English. Just go with the analogy for a minute. And they're all hearing, and they're like, how is this possible? They're amazed, and they're perplexed. What is happening? And the disciples are speaking their languages. Fast forward, jump to verse 36 of chapter 2. Peter is preaching a sermon. He's rolling. And he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And when the crowds heard this, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. The Spirit convicted them. We did crucify him. It was. We murdered him. We chanted his name. Crucify him. Crucify him. And they asked Peter, what shall we do? Verse 38, Peter says to them, repent. Turn from your sins and turn towards God. That's what repent means. Repent and be baptized, every single one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the power that you're seeing within us. You'll receive that and forgiveness of your sins because of what Jesus did for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Look around at your lives, at your generation. It's not doing anything for you. It's not saving you. It's not, it's not giving you life. Save yourselves from that. Turn to Jesus. Verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Can you imagine hearing a sermon? Can you imagine hearing people just begin to rattle off languages from all around the world? And you know they haven't traveled there. You know they haven't studied that language. And the Spirit is just giving them utterance to proclaim the gospel in these tongues. Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses around the world. They had no idea first God was going to bring the world to them. They're starting to talk in every language of people who are there. And people, what is going on? And Peter says, it's Jesus. You crucified him. What should we do? Repent. Believe. Be baptized. Find forgiveness of your sins and receive the Spirit. And 3,000 people say, we want it. And they find salvation through Jesus. Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8. You will receive Power, dunamis, dynamite, when the Spirit comes upon you. They had no idea he was actually going to come in them. And you will be my witnesses. You will testify about me in your backyard, 
in your country and overseas. You will cross geographical lines. You will cross ethnic lines. You will cross cultural lines. You will cross religious lines. You will cross political lines with this message. Jesus, hear me, Jesus gives us power through his spirit in us, not on us. That's old covenant. New covenant is in us to accomplish the works of God and to proclaim the words of God. That's what Jesus is telling to his disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You're going to have power to go out to toss a stone in the global scale of things and to create ripples all around the world with the message of the gospel. You're going to tell people about me and watch what I'm going to do through the power and the presence of the Spirit. Jesus gives us power through his Spirit in us to accomplish the works of God and proclaim the words of God. So why doesn't it feel that way every day? Do you guys feel like you have a superpower? Dallas and I were talking about this last week. And, um, and man, we, we were just talking like, we, we both agreed. Uh, we didn't have to convince ourselves. We, we both said it. And we're like, yes. And all of our years of experience in ministry and, and working with not just the next generation, but with adults too, we feel like this is one of the most misunderstood and underutilized truths of our faith. That you have the full presence of God in you. Not a fraction, not a margin, not a decimal place of it. The same spirit who created the earth, the same spirit who did wonders throughout all of history, the full presence of Jesus is in you. You are filled if you believe in Jesus. You have power to live in victory over sin. You don't have to say yes to sin. You don't have to be defeated by sin. Is it going to be a struggle? Yeah. You going to wrestle? Yeah. But you have power to resist sin, the scripture says, where before you couldn't, you were enslaved to it. You have power to testify about the name of Jesus, to have courage facing darkness and facing powers and facing governments who don't want you to proclaim the message of hope. You have power to dismantle darkness. We have an enemy. He is at work in this world. He loves divisiveness. And if you haven't been able to tell during COVID, we are divided. And he's loving it. You have power to actually create unity among differences under the banner of the gospel of Jesus. You have power. Why is this so misunderstood and underutilized? Why do so many of us wake up and not even sense that we have the spirit in us, Jesus in us? Either Jesus was lying or we don't understand how to activate it because maybe we're too distracted spend too much time on other things, get too concerned about earthly things, 
feel the weight and the pressure of this life and we forget there's a whole spiritual component to it. We don't know how to get alone. We don't know how to practice solitude. We don't know how to be silent before God. We don't know how to listen. We're not in his word. We don't really understand what prayer is. We don't practice the rhythms of a relationship with the spirit and therefore it doesn't feel like he's there. We treat him like he's non-existent in us. Jesus gives us power through his spirit in us, not on us, in us, to accomplish the works of God and proclaim the words of God to the ends of the earth. The book of Acts begins, Acts is Luke's gospel part two. Luke wrote Luke's gospel and Luke wrote the book of Acts. He begins the book of Acts by saying, in my first book, I wrote to talk about all the things Jesus began to do and teach. This is verse one of the book of Acts. I wrote to talk about all the things Jesus began to do and teach. In other words, Luke is saying, he's not done. He began it. I talked about what he began in my gospel, but now he's continuing. Yeah, Ginny Ann. And so many people that I talked to, I'm so encouraged by you, man. And so many people that I talked to are like, dude, our faith would just be so much easier if we could experience what the disciples experienced. If we could just walk with Jesus physically, my faith would be different. But John chapter 16, Jesus says that this is actually the better setup. Jesus says, hey, it's actually better for you that I leave and go to the Father. You should rejoice in that because the Father sent me. If I couldn't leave, then the helper couldn't come, the spirit, the helper. While I'm here physically, the spirit won't come. So it's better for you that I leave so that my presence comes in you. What did ministry with Jesus look like while he lived? It was ministry with his physical presence. What is Jesus doing in the world now? It's Jesus's spiritual presence through his people. Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm leaving, but I'm also staying. I'm leaving physically, but I'm coming spiritually. I'm leaving from the external relationship and I'm about to move into the internal relationship. I'm about to live in you. And I'm about to give you power you don't even know. And we're about to rock this world in my name. Yeah. So Acts Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Here's the three ends of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The first is Jesus in you. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, you will see power when the Spirit comes upon you. What actually ended up happening is the Spirit came in you, the Spirit of Jesus. So Acts 1, 8, the first end is Jesus lives in you. For those of us in the room who claim Jesus, who follow Jesus, who believe in Jesus, Jesus' full presence, nothing withheld, nothing divided, his full presence is in you. That's the first end of Acts 20. The second end, the natural follow-up to that is, because Jesus is in you, he's asking us to be his witnesses, to testify. You can be in the world. That's what Jesus says. I'm going to be in you. The Spirit's going to come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in your backyard, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. To us, he would say, man, I want you to be my witnesses in Greenville, in your backyard, in South Carolina, in your country, and yes, even to the ends of the earth. 
Jesus is in you so that you can be in the world. But here's the amazing thing. Here's the amazing thing. Jesus hasn't left the world. Jesus's ministry that we see in the Gospels is continuing now, not in his physical body, but in our physical body. Jesus through us is in the world. That's how the world experiences Jesus. Is that not radical? Jesus' plan is, I'm going to come, I'm going to repair things, I'm going to heal the curse, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite them into this relationship, new covenant, new things starting, then I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send my presence to empower them to now represent me in the world so that my presence remains in this world. Through my physical body? Nope, through their physical body. Jesus gives us power, explosive dynamite power in us big difference between on and in this is inside out coming from here not hitting here on us in he gives us power through his spirit in us to accomplish the works of god and proclaim the words of god to continue to be his presence in this world to create ripples with the gospel and we're not alone in this because jesus is with us you have superpower the origin of that power is the spirit of Jesus filling you so that you can be a witness to Jesus in this world let's pray Jesus sometimes we forget how amazing this power is sometimes we don't even know how to feel it or activate it or what to do with it or how to be your witness or how to listen to you and, and, and seek you. We read the Gospels, we read the book of Acts, and it just seems like, man, we don't experience that stuff. Do I mean, was that just for that time and place? Jesus, I, your spirit, the full presence is in us. Would you teach us how to listen? Would you teach us how to move with your spirit so that the works of God and the words of God can continue to move forward so that this world comes to know the presence of Jesus through the presence of his people. Would you please unite us, help us resist dividing over the silliest of things. Jesus, we thank you for our superpower, the dynamite of the spirit. Help us dismantle the darkness in this world. We ask in Jesus' name.